0: Despite considerable investment and innovation, chemotherapy drugs have had little effect on survival in adults with metastatic cancer. In this podcast, Navjoit Lada, clinical editor for the BMJ, talks to Peter Wise, former consultant physician and senior lecturer at Imperial College School of Medicine. Peter is also the author of a recent analysis on the BMJ.com called Cancer, Drugs, Survival and Ethics.
1: Peter, just to start with then, tell us about what prompted you to write the article.
0: Um, in principle, I've had two occupations through my professional career, one of them with the practice of uh, endocrinology and also clinical research in endocrinology, and the other one has been in medical ethics. And my ethical ethi- medical ethics uh, commitments have been In various formats, uh, drug evaluation, pharmaceutical benefits, and then uh, rather more recently, I suppose, clinical research ethics. And uh, the reason, I guess, I came to write this article was because there's been so much publicity about the cost of cancer drugs and cancer itself has been an interest of mine also because of the endocrine complications of cancer with which I've dealt clinically and also, to some extent, research. And so I thought I'd pursue some of the ethical elements because it seemed to me that, uh, putting it simply, quite a lot of the current cancer drugs were not uh, fulfilling their promise.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because this particular issue brings together a lot of those interests throughout your career. Um, As you say, it's a a big industry, um, the sort of development of cancer drugs, with companies able to charge high prices. Even though, as you describe in the paper, most approved cancer drugs provide little gain for patients in terms of overall survival. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Well, that was my biggest surprise. To follow up my impression that they were not contributing a great deal, um, I looked at the data that exists. Um, There's data up until uh, the early part of this millennium, some quarter of a million uh, patients who were evaluated by in an Australian American combination. And they found that there was hardly more than about three months of prolongation of life on what you could call the earlier cancer drugs. And then I looked um, at a more recent series and uh, there is one from Europe, um, from the EMA, uh, which shows only around a one month extension of, of survival with the newer drugs, and then more significantly from the FDA. And uh, they recently reviewed uh, in detail some 48, or other they didn't review, it was reviewed by the National Cancer Institute. They reviewed 48 uh, recent approvals. Those are the approvals between 2002 and 2014. And uh, the mean prolongation of overall, overall survival by all the new drugs, the average of all the new drugs that it evaluated over that 12-year period was only 2.1 years. uh, Sorry, 2.1 months. I wish it was 2.1 years. It's 2.1 months. And uh, that came as a big surprise to me. And I felt, therefore, particularly motivated towards writing the article because it was clear that there was a lot of misinformation. Misinformation within the medical profession, misinformation In the public as well and this has led me to write an article for the public as well because i think it's important that people patients know what the potential for help is from cancer drugs
1: Mm, absolutely and it's kind of as you say it's a surprising situation that has arisen because you have still have vast amounts of money being poured into researching new drugs and fast tracking these drugs and then you know for health systems paying for these drugs um and yet the benefit seems to be minimal um at least in terms of survival and in the paper you discuss ethical issues that relate to several several different stages of the process um starting with the research that goes on in this area um can you explain some of the problems with the with the trials
0: Well, I think um, the first one is an interesting one, actually. Up until about the year 2000, and I speak very roughly, um, people who were doing research into cancer drugs uh, were comparing the drug with a placebo quite often. And therefore, there was a very important comparison there as to what was really being gained. Uh, Quite understandably, more recently, let's say in the last 15 years, Um, it has been considered unethical to compare a new drug from a pharmaceutical company with a placebo. It's not fair on the placebo limb of the study. And so, therefore, new drugs were compared with drugs that had already been approved. And that makes the evaluation quite difficult. Sure, you can say that this drug prolongs life for uh, for another month or two, but to get some three-dimensional picture of how it compares with no treatment at all, It's virtually impossible and the second issue is perhaps more serious and that's the one of using what's called surrogate endpoints. Um, Obviously the most important parameter and nobody disagrees with this at all of how good a drug is, is a question of how long or by how long it prolongs overall survival. Now, the problem with that parameter is that it takes sometimes quite a long time for patients with cancer to die. And that's, of course, a very good thing. Uh, It has actually been exaggerated how rapidly progressive a lot of cancers are. The truth is that quite a lot of cancer patients live for two, three years or more. And so you have to wait for a trial for several years sometimes before you can get an answer. And so it was in the interest of pharmaceutical companies and of approval committees in government to find... Um, the surrogate markers of response and a progression free survival and overall response and complete response and all these markers that were based on the way in which the to a large extent the way in which the cancer responded in scans the early the early behavior of the scan to cancer drug treatment most of these parameters were based on that and that sounded very good and it looked as though this would be a helpful approach until, there was a follow-up of these surrogate markers, and it was discovered that in around 50% of cases, when these trials or other trials were really followed through to the overall survival picture, they were discredited. These surrogate markers are not good indicators, and therefore a lot of the trials that are based and the decisions that are based on the use of surrogate markers are actually invalid. And that is the thing that is that really surprised me, that surrogate markers are still being used, even though many, many cancer institutes and departments have pointed out the fallacies inherent in that.
1: This brings us on to the related problem of the, the bar for regulatory approval. And as you describe in the paper, these drugs are often subject to fast-track approval so that they, they can be made available to, to patients more quickly. But the evidence suggests that that isn't always warranted. Um, can you talk a little bit about the ease, as you say, with which um, regulatory bodies are approach these, these new drugs?
0: Well, on the face of it, regulatory bodies want to benefit patients. And that's the way I think a lot of people have looked at it up until now. Um, if you put on a, a sort of rose-tinted spectacles, that's that's how it looks. But if you take those rose-tinted spectacles off and have a look at the approval criteria and how much these new and approved drugs actually prolong life, it it gives cause for concern. So of the 48 drugs, for example, I mentioned earlier that were approved by the FDA between 2002 and 2014, seven of those 48 only prolonged survival by one month or less. And there was even one drug. Which was used for this is erlotinib, which is used for the treatment of pancreas cancer, and that drug was approved, even though it prolonged life by only 10 days. Overall survival benefit was 10 days. Now, this was statistically significant because the number of subjects used for the trials were very large, and if you use progressively larger number of subjects in a trial, uh, it's surprising what you can make in the way of significance. Uh, from quite small differences in the median or the mean. So this was a sort of a a disillusionment. And then I asked myself, well, well, why is this? I mean, if it doesn't really benefit patients by so much, only by a matter of a few weeks, why is the government concerned about approving a drug with all the costs that are involved? And we're talking here about $150,000 a year or it's sterling equivalent upwards. And so I looked at the relationship between pharmaceutical companies and government approval bodies. And I found that first of all, the pharmaceutical companies pay quite large amounts to government for approval itself, sort of like $2 million for each new drug application. So that's quite a lot of money that government gets from from, uh, looking at these applications and approving them. These are views which now are increasingly held and cast enormous doubt on the motivation of governments uh, for this rather simplistic uh, approval policy. Um, and I'm unhappy about this. Ethically, this seems to be entirely wrong.
1: Let's explore survival then in more detail, because... Although the survival benefits may be minimal from these medications, do we do we know if there are there are other benefits that might be important to patients, such as quality of life, that these studies look at and that may be the basis for these um, drugs being approved?
0: There's been more and more data appearing on the value of best supportive care as as compared with drug therapy. People have looked more carefully now, if we really intensively, provide pain relief, if we provide good diet, exercise, psychosocial support, what do we get as a result? And the comparisons that you now see, and there have been not very many papers on this, but the ones that have been produced are interesting. You'll see that the quality of life appears to be just as good on um, best supportive care than with drug therapy and more needs to be done on this and more i suspect will be done except of course that it's difficult to get subjects who are prepared not to have cancer drugs therefore best supportive care as a category is quite difficult to achieve in a clinical research project
1: okay so with um the kind of limited benefits that you describe of the medications and as we know they they carry with them a a number of harms and side effects How much of this information do you think is conveyed to patients?
0: This is something that's been extremely well looked at, particularly in the US, uh, in Holland and in Australia. There's a lot of information. For example, um, the late uh, Professor Weeks um, from Boston did a study in which she looked at no less than, I think, 1,200 patients with bowel cancer and lung cancer, metastatic cancer, to find out what they thought the chances were of a uh, cure. And it was surprising that almost three quarters of those patients, which came from a number of different clinics in the States, it wasn't just from Boston, more than three quarters thought that they would be likely or very likely to be cured from their cancer by cancer drugs, even though it's known that in metastatic Uh, Bowel cancer, metastatic. Lung cancer, cures are virtually unheard of. Well, that gives you an indication that that in those multiple clinics, there was not very good education. And this subsequently has been shown in Holland and in
1: Australia that people do not, patients on the whole, do not know uh, what